0: Black Doctors Podcast. Test, test, hello, and welcome back to Black Doctors Podcast. I'm Stephen, your host. Thanks for tuning in this week. We've got a couple of things going on this episode. First, we're going to catch up with Dr. Letitia Rowe. She is the founder of the Honeycomb Clinic and also founder of the Boss Doctors Conference. They recently had an awards show just this past weekend in New Orleans as part of kind of the, the NMA celebrations and activities. And we're going to play a little bit more of the episode that I had with her. We sat down and chatted. We kind of caught up over the things that have happened over the last almost two years, I think, since she was first on the podcast. We talked about the Huntington Clinic and how much it's grown over the years and what she's been up to. So super interesting to see her idea, her dream come to fruition. That's going to be in the second half of this episode. For the first half of this episode, I am excited that we are in month two of season eight of this podcast. You know, it got a little slow over the last half of season seven, but we're back and uh, here to stay and, and hopefully to grow and be even more impactful than we've already been. So excited to be able to record more up to date content and kind of comment on some things that are currently happening in medical education and the field of medical ethics. Some things that we can all learn from first up. Unless you've been living under a rock somewhere, if you're on Med Twitter or Med X, I don't know what you call it now that they've changed the name of Twitter. If you're on Instagram, The Shade Room, um, Facebook, Ybed, you have probably come across this video by a male obstetrician. Um, It goes on for a couple minutes, basically talks about why women may not necessarily choose a, a male physician. As their obstetrician, I'm not going to jump into the content of the video. This isn't some like medical ethicist reacts, but I do have this background in medical ethics and somewhat of a presence on social media, far from an influencer. There's a lot of videos coming out and people that are responding, replying, and breaking down some of the things that were in that video that were problematic. It could have been said better. That's not what I'm here to do. As I looked at that situation, I think there's some things that we can learn because of the nature of this podcast the black doctors podcast my goal is to provide tools for medical students pre-med residents even attending physicians things that we can all learn so when i saw this video one of the first things i thought of was you know how do you appropriately and effectively use social media and what are some of the pitfalls and dangers that you should avoid it is so easy these days to record a viral video to record your thoughts, to hit send, and it can really get us into a lot of trouble. I think every like three to six months, probably even sooner or more recent than that. Somebody put something on social media and it blows up. In the last couple of months, there was a surgeon, I think it was a cardiac surgeon, who talked about how like trainees slowed him down in his practice. And I don't think that was the the nature of, of what he's trying to, to say, but he got kind of dragged on social media because of that. I'm currently slightly getting dragged on social media, uh, Dr. Every Woman, or Dr. Uh, Wendy Goodall. She's an obstetrician and uh, so much more, but she's on Instagram. And she posted a video about a month ago, I guess, about some of the confusing terminology of natural birth versus unmedicated birth. And I replied to that comment. You know, I've met her in person, You know, fanboy moment. And the video that she put out was kind of tongue in cheek. And it was kind of humorous, you know. So I put out what I thought was a very thoughtful reply and had some subsequent con- conversations in the uh, comment section um, about some of the, the dangers of um, delivery and what I see as someone that does practice anesthesia and does work on uh, labor and delivery wards, providing care to um, perturians. And even still, I was very careful about what I said and I still every like three to four days get a snarky comment um replying to some of the things that I've said. And I've I even had like follow-up comments where I gave more education and I tried to be as contentious as possible in understanding that, you know, however you put information out, it may not be perceived with the same context as you intended. And understand that people have such widely different experiences when it comes to giving birth, to delivering some really good experiences, a lot of really bad experiences. And it's a very um, triggering, polarizing issue. And so that was my experience. Now, when it comes to how do you select what you do and don't post, number one, you need to have kind of a council of friends. I'm fortunate, you know, to have a good group of friends that I can bounce ideas off of, John Patton or Doc JP three. He's uh, really big on social media. He's a fellow anesthesiologist. There've been multiple times that I've sent him a video that I made. I'm like, Hey dude, take a look at that. You know, what do you think? And he said, uh, you know, this, you know, some people may find this part of that offensive and, and it's a perspective that I didn't pick up on and I ended up not posting. So in a, in a council of friends, you know, be free to to bounce ideas off of people and hesitate before hitting the send button. We live in this day and age, like podcasts, right? Everybody has a podcast. And probably anytime you see like a bunch of dudes on a podcast, you could probably assume that it's not going to be too long before there's misogyny and, and sexism and, and all, all the other things that come along with a bunch of guys just sharing their opinion. I do, for that reason, try to have a variety of guests on the show of different races, ethnicities, cultures, sex, um, sexual orientation. And be- because that is a bit of a check for me to kind of uh, just be careful about the content that I'm putting out on this podcast. I also realize that you know, if you have a podcast or you're talking for 25, 30, 45 minutes in a row and you're publishing that every week or every two weeks, the odds of you saying something that's going to offend somebody are astronomical. And that's something that I I have the utmost respect for as I get on this podcast every week and usually I have a, a guest and even still when I'm editing ed- episodes I go out of my way to look at things objectively and I've had to edit stuff that you know wasn't intentionally offensive or or wasn't even offensive at all but could be misconstrued or misunderstood understood. and I'll edit some of that out of the podcast because I want this to be an uplifting encouraging show And I don't want this to be derailed or sidetracked because of misunderstandings. Realize that you are free to do a lot of things. You're free to say whatever you want, but you're not, it doesn't alleviate you of the consequences for the things that you say. And, you know, as I was interviewing for fellowship, interviewing for a job, this this podcast is on my CV. My social media is open and people oftentimes will peruse that. And I had to be able to stand by everything that, I say on this podcast, right? This is the black doctors podcast and I may be, you know, interviewing in a state that is, is less progressive or talking or interviewing somebody that is less progressive. And, you know, are they going to be offended or, or take issue with the name of my podcast, right? Something that I had to think about. And obviously, you know, if there's an issue, then that's probably not the place that I should be working, but if you take it a step further to any other content that you have that is fair game for people to look at and maybe maybe not start some discussions. so there's something to think about. think before you post. know that everything stays on social media for a long time. This isn't just a lesson for the kids right the the undergrads and pre-meds. There's so many times that you know people that are further along in their career may make these judgment errors. And, you know, sometimes it's just a matter of lacking context or not having the best delivery. So just, uh, you know, a word of caution to to those of you that are listening. And we can always, there's always room to learn and to improve and to do better. All right. That is topic number one. That's the first thing I want to talk about. Number two, this is this took some uh, digging. I don't usually do research for the podcast. Usually I just jump on the air. I have a, an amazing guest and and kind of kind of uh, riff off of each other. This has been floating around in the news for months, really. And it's very political. I don't usually get into politics. I, I must confess, I don't understand a lot about politics. And, and I've tried to learn more over the years. It's a weak area. Maybe I should, I don't know, make less music or podcast less, and then I can read more politics. But um, this has been going on for several months. And it's a weird issue that I also am not much of an expert on a lot of things. I know I know a lot of stuff, but I'm not an expert on a lot of stuff. But this specific issue, I'm just kind of leading you on to build suspense. It, it is very intersectional for me. It deals with the military. It deals with women's uh, health care, women's rights. It deals with military health care. And this issue currently going on in the Senate where one senator is holding up the senate confirmations of some of our service members i'm going to break down kind of what is going on how that affects our service members how it affects our military it starts with a couple names you got to know tommy tuberville i i first came to my attention there's just like a, a clip of him talking and he said no one's more military than me and it's like but dude you weren't ever in the military you know to my knowledge but Basically talking about how you know, he's doing these things, but he's not. he doesn't think he's damaging our military readiness. So Tommy Tuberville is a senator from Alabama, I believe. And he, his career was actually as the football coach for Auburn. I don't really watch sports, but I had to do some research. So he was the head football coach, I believe, for Auburn. I think they play Alabama in the Iron Bowl. That's probably the limit of my um, knowledge of football, at least in the state of Alabama. So he worked as a football coach, and then somehow that translated into him going into politics. So he got elected as a senator from the state of Alabama. And for the military, for officers, you have to have a Senate confirmation or they have to basically accept you for that position. When I was going into to the military, right, there's enlisted where kind of you come out of high school and then you swear in or an officer where you usually finish college, and then you get commissioned as an officer. Those are kind of the two rank structures in the military. And so as a, an officer that was commissioning when I was finishing up residency, I had to be confirmed by the Senate. And it's not a big deal. They just take a bunch of names. Nobody cared about Lieutenant Bradley, who's going to be an anesthesiologist in Virginia. They just took a big list of names. Like These are the officers that need to be uh, confirmed. And then it just comes up in Senate whenever it does, and then they're like, "Sure, we're going to pass it." That's the way it, it usually goes. So this summer, for the first time in a long time, the Commandant of the Marine Corps, so which is the highest-ranking uh, officer in of the Marines, head of the Marines, um, his seat is now vacant and being filled by a, a temporary role. Or I think the the guy that was just below him. This just happened as well with the Army. The leader of the Army retired. And they cannot replace him because of this one Senator, Tommy Tuberville. He has refused to approve these appointments and and these uh, confirmations. The reason he's refusing is because of a policy that came out from the Department of Defense. I believe it was last year, 2022, as the Supreme Court was starting to repeal Roe v. Wade. And states were beginning to crack down and decrease women's access to health care, i.e. abortion rights specifically, right? I don't like talking around issues, but to hit the nail on the head, women's health care rights, reproductive rights. The Department of Defense uh, under, I think, Lloyd Austin, I think is, is, I can't recall his specific title, but he's high up there. Se- Secretary of Defense, maybe a toy totally don't do politics, don't judge. So he put out this policy for the Department of Defense that, hey, if someone needs access to reproductive health care or any health care really, that is not provided at their local military treatment facility or MTF or military hospital, the Department of Defense will fund their travel and they can take sick leave as appropriate. Now, this is already a thing, right? I was stationed in Virginia. We would oftentimes have people with complex eye surgery, for example. They would need to travel up to Johns Hopkins. A Baltimore, the military would fund their travel, send them there, I had a service member as a patient in uh, Chicago because they needed a service that their local military hospital could not provide. They would have funded travel to a civilian institution to receive this appropriate health care. Obviously, if that appropriate health care required some period of convalescence, then they would have convalescent leave, con leave is what we called it. And you don't go to work until you're all healed up and fit for duty. So this is already present. It already exists. The issue now became if you were in a state that does not allow uh, abortion or termination of pregnancy, you now are unable to go down the street, have that procedure, and then have your convalescent leave and then return to work. Now you need to travel. This gets even more tedious and and uh, affects people and more intimately when you realize that a lot of these military treatment facilities are, these people are stationed across the world. I spent a month working in Guantanamo Bay at Guantanamo Bay. We had one obstetrician. We had a general surgeon. We had like one or two emergency medicine physicians, a couple of internists and uh, anesthesiologists anesthesiologist today. So if you required healthcare that could not be delivered on the island, they had to fly you off and the flights were only like twice a week, or something like that. So they had to fly you to the mainland and, um, you could receive the appropriate healthcare. Now, if Lloyd Austin, if they hadn't made this carve out after, you know, the the States or the, you know, even in Guantanamo Bay, you, you could not receive the appropriate healthcare. If you, um, needed to terminate a pregnancy, if you needed in vitro fertilization, if you needed any healthcare that was not provided on the island of Guantanamo Bay or the island of Diego Garcia or in, on landstool, um, Army or Air Force Base in Germany, wherever that is, um, in Japan, if you weren't able to travel locally, you would have to travel abroad. And that could be very cost prohibitive to service members. And then you needed the appropriate amount of convalescent leave to get well again. So this Senator Tommy Tuberville has unilaterally decided that, hey, I am not going to approve these promotions until they change this policy. And in doing so, I think he's held up over 300 promotions. Now, what does this mean for the military and military readiness? This means that the the Marines don't have an official leader. The Army now doesn't have an official leader. There are a ton of other flag officers. Flag officers are like your generals and admirals, super high-ranking people. And then there's a bunch of regular officers. I was like a regular officer, but still leaders, right? And these people have not been promoted. This impacts their move for their new duty station because the summer is uh PCS season in the military is permanent change of station. So every three years, if you're up for new orders, you're going to get new orders and you're going to travel usually in the summer and report to your new duty station, take on the new role. That means your family is going to travel with you. They're going to have to find a place to live. They're going to have to enroll their kids in the school system, reestablish their healthcare needs. So because of this one football coach, from Alabama in his uh opinion that this simple act of supporting service members to get the healthcare that they need it, it, it's an impasse for him and he is holding up this entire process when questioned about it he he swore up and down he doesn't think this is impacting military readiness i ask you you know what do you think do you think it's impacting military readiness when the head of the army and the head of the marines is not uh, has not been approved And you're holding up over 300 officers from being promoted. Not to mention the impact, the long-lasting impact that this has on our service men and women. Back in the day, you had an all-white male military. Along the way, we got rid of segregation. We can have uh, multiple ethnicities in the military. You can now have women in the military. And unfortunately, kind of the laws and the way the military is run is very slow to follow along with these changes. I remember one of the nurses that I I worked with, she'd been in for quite a while. She remembers when for military dress code for woman officers, they had to wear pantyhose. And for the longest time, they only had pantyhose colored for Caucasian skin. So I wouldn't have known this as a dude, but apparently uh, pantyhose are color coordinated and it's supposed to match your skin tone to some degree. So they had to, as black women officers, wear pantyhose that was made for white women and apparently that looks weird i guess it looked orange or something like that and it, it took a while for it to be like hey we need the appropriate color pantyhose um stocked in the in the uh, shopping centers on base so there's issues like this that continue to disproportionately affect women and minorities in the military the military dress code for men, especially for, for men of color, having to shave every day, you get pseudo uh, pseudofolliculitis barbae, and, and it just tears up your face. And so finally they're like, Hey, you can have a, a no shave chit, uh C-H-I-T, chit. And you know, this means you don't have to shave. Well now it's, you know, not appropriately enforced. You have junior enlisted people trying to get these uh, shave notes. And then you have their senior enlisted that are like, shaming them forward and treating them badly, or maybe it affects their promotion because they're not clean shaven. And there's these things that again, disproportionately affect women and minorities in the military. This is yet another one. Can you imagine the 18, 19 year old young woman who is pregnant and needs to terminate that pregnancy. And because she is stationed on a base in Alabama, she has to go to her command. She's already going through so much right now with this pregnancy. And she has to beg her senior leadership for leave. I I can I have leave. No, you're supposed to work. I need to go take care of something. What do you need to take care of? And she will have to go through so much humiliation and shame to get her request granted for the healthcare that she so desperately needs. Now her leave has been approved. We've got 30 days of leave in the military. She has to take however long it is, a week. Schedule this procedure fund her own travel out of state, find a place to stay and recover, and then come back to work. When you look at the salaries for these enlisted men and women, they don't make a lot of money. Um, it's like two or 3000 bucks a month. They like live in dorms and stuff. You can look up this salary. I, I don't know offhand. It's just not a lot of money. And the fact that this is the hill that the Senator wants to die on at the risk of weakening our military and adversely affecting thousands of people, not just the 300 officers, but thousands of people because you're looking at their families as well. So that is the situation. I don't know the solution. I just wanted to enlighten you all. If you weren't aware of the impact of the situation, Um, you know, this goes along with um, there's the, the NDAA as well, national defense authorization act, which every year um, Congress has to sign. And this actually provides funding for the military So some of the legislation or some of the wording in there also decreases and strips away some of the care required for our uh, woman um, in the military, as well as gender affirming care and other things. Right. And like in vitro fertilization is already a part of this. Like there's, there's so many things, but we're going to start picking and choosing who gets what healthcare, depending on, you know, our political and religious beliefs, which is highly inappropriate. So I guess the only thing you can do is vote, you know, not just in the in the big national elections, but know that on the state and local level, these things have significant impact on, on a lot of things. All these different committees these senators are on, it, everything's connected. So hopefully that helps clarify that issue. And let me know if you have any questions that I can further elucidate. I'll probably try to shrink this down and maybe put it on uh, social media. I think it's an appropriate post. And now we're going to jump into the rest of our discussion with Dr. Letitia Rowe and hear about the incredible things she's been up to with Honeycomb Clinic. We have a a very special guest. I think I say that every week we have a very special guest because I think every person that takes the time to come on this show is, is incredibly special. Um, but Dr. Tisha Rowe is back with us. If you've been following the podcast, even if you haven't, she was a guest back. We had we both did some digging. Season four, episode four. This is back in June of 2021. She came on the show and now she's back. Dr. Rowe, thank you so much for joining us.
1: Thank you so much for having me. It's just been great to see your podcast over the years just grow and to still be able to be a part of it.
0: Yeah, I still, you know, as I was doing the digging and re- remembering that the episode and looking you up on LinkedIn, I'd forgotten, you know, you you do so many things. I'm like, man, I forgot half of what she actually does because she does so much. She (laughs) is a family medicine physician. She is, she has an MBA. She's a serial entrepreneur. I forgot you were instrumental in telehealth from like way back
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. So I started my telemedicine company in 2014. And I tell people, you know, I was just a little too early Mm. um, into the telemedicine game. Teledoc was around before I was, but people weren't really ready to adopt it the way it needed to be adopted. Um, But it was it was an amazing journey and definitely a layup to what I'm doing now.
0: Yeah, I will try to put a link in the uh, show notes so you can go back and see and hear that episode. Don't judge the audio quality because I didn't know what I was doing with the editing back then. I'm still figuring it out. But check out that episode because she tells her story of going through residency and, and getting the MBA and how she really forged her own path and and just think about it. Like, it's so many interesting things to learn, but we don't have time to go back through all that because she's done so much in between. When we last talked, Honeycomb Clinic, we talked about that a lot in the episode and that was we were just just reflecting. That was a, a month or so before you actually closed on that property, correct?
1: That was correct. I closed on um Honeycomb Clinic August 2021. I was on the pa- podcast shortly before that. August 2021, you know, bought a 9,000 square foot building in the heart of Houston, Texas. It was you know, the biggest, um, purchase I've made in my Mm -hmm. life. And it really looked like something you would see on like any HGTV flip this house kind of situation. And we just took it and turned it completely
0: around. And, and people bet on you, right. As an entrepreneur, you bet on yourself, you bet on yourself 9,000 square feet worth, which is, Incredible. But what, what was the concept behind Honeycomb Clinic?
1: It's um, the concept behind Honeycomb Clinic. I'll answer this question two mm-hmm. ways. People ask er- all the time, why did you call this honeycomb clinic? And I said, you know, in medicine, we're taught to compete right from med school. Who's the best med student resident? Who's the best resident? You get out as an attending. And even though you're no longer fighting for that grade, I feel like there's a lot of unnecessary competition and ego when we finish um, and go out on our own and we don't collaborate as much as we need to. So I thought when I build this clinic, I want collaboration to be the core of what we do and the way bees work together, right? Um, There's a queen bee, but the rest of the bees, there's no ego. There's no, who's the best bee in the, the hive. It's just bees working together. And the structure of the honeycomb to me represents individual doctors locking arms, and our strength comes from our connection. So when you look at a honeycomb, if you take a hexagon out, that hexagon by itself on an island can't compete with the honeycomb that's linked up. So I wanted doctors to come together. Now, the business model Is similar to those who are familiar with WeWork, a co-working space for doctors. So we have 16 exam rooms. A doctor can rent a room for a day once a week. They can have a room two days a week. So it's meant to be a place where entrepreneurs who want to start a practice can come and grow and maintain their independence and practice on their terms, but still be able to compete with the big boys, right? Because patients are looking for convenience. Most of these medical clinics have lots of doctors in one place. So if I choose independent doctors, that means I have to drive to 10 doctors to see 10 specialists. Mm -hmm. It becomes frustrating for the patient. And even though those independent doctors might be the best doctor, they're like, do I want this convenience or do I want to see this doctor I love? And, and and it's, you know, sometimes the big boys win and sometimes they stick it out with us. So in this model, by putting all of these independent doctors together, now we can compete, right? Because now you're not on your own. You have this collaborative unit you're a part of. Yeah. And the bigger picture with that is now you're sharing costs. So you also don't have this astronomical burden of debt over your head when you're already in debt
0: to begin with. Brilliant. And so that's,
1: that's, that's honeycomb yeah. in a nutshell, having
0: the foresight and the entrepreneurial mindset and the business background. Like that's a, it's a rare person that has all of those talents and skills to be able to pull this off. So fast forward, that was uh 2021. We are coming up on, you know, by the time this episode airs, the one year anniversary of Honeycomb kind of being open. How's it been? Yeah.
1: It's been challenging. And I always want to share the challenges because I don't want anyone to fall in, follow in my footsteps thinking this will be an easy road. Um, there are lots of obstacles, but at the end of the day, when I go to bed, I feel fulfilled. I have better work-life balance. My work feels more meaningful. I read my patient reviews and it reinforces for me, this is exactly the path God intended for you to be on. So any obstacle you're facing... It's a part of your growth process. It's a part of the journey and you have to take it in stride. You have to create solutions, but you are on the right path. So I would say it's going extremely well. One of my favorite sayings is men lie, women lie, numbers don't lie. So (laughs) our numbers are increasing, you know. I'm seeing 24 patients a day, which is my max. I don't want to see more patients than that. I don't think I can be a good doctor seeing more patients than that. So I'm full and my goal is to help any other doctor that works with me achieve the same success. So if I can do that in a year, if you follow what the advice I give you, you can do it as well. And that's independence. Once you have a full schedule now, it's just up to you to be consistent and deliver good care.
0: So, as the owner and 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 CEO, what do you what are you looking for? Are you looking for more physicians to join you? Or are you looking? You're not looking for patients, I guess. If you talk to whoever out there, that that may be um, what you're looking for.
1: We definitely are looking for more doctors. We have three primary care. Do- two doctors, one PA. We have a cardiologist. We have a under contract, so they're currently credentialing a nephrologist and a PMNR. So we can fit four more full time doctors, but we can fit ten more part time. So if a doctor only needs one or two days per week, we can totally rotate um, those doctors in. You know, I want to see more doctors expanding their their business beyond one state there's Hmm. so many doctors i follow online that i'm like you are killing it in that state but if you did you know a couple days a month in houston It builds up, you know, especially a lot of the surgeons, African-American surgeons that I see out there. You know, you can have a PA covering your clinic here while you come do some consults in Houston. I just want us to grow more than we ever could have imagined. So definitely um, doctors. The goal is to bring Honeycomb to other states. Next state will be Florida, Miami specifically, and then hopefully Atlanta and New Orleans to follow. But Ten locations and then IPO. That's the that's the roadmap. So if we're, we're looking for doctors, investors, and supporters, you know, people need to know about the clinic and the concept for it to continue to grow, continue to refer. Because every time we add another doctor, the challenge is filling that doctor's schedule. Mm-hmm
0: and for now um you said Houston correct so uh where in Houston if somebody wants to come work with you what what uh area
1: i am smiling because everyone that comes to Houston usually visits the turkey leg hut well everyone <laughs> i know
0: i've been i only been to Houston once and i've been to turkey leg hut
1: <laughs> we are directly across the street from the turkey leg hut if you're on the turkey leg hut patio you Tisha. are looking at stone clinic i'm serious <laughs> i am serious we we sit in the front and we we laugh because all day people are taking selfies in our parking lot because they want the turkey leg hut sign in the background and our lot is the best way to get it. I need to to do a little charging station, a dollar per picture. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Look, that, that that will cover all the bills. But um, it's that's where we're located. If you want um, more specifically, we're in such a great position. We're near the med center. We're near Midtown. We're near Museum District, and we're near Third Ward. We literally are smack dab between all of those places. So you can get to the museum district in two minutes, midtown in three minutes, the med center in 10 minutes, third ward in a minute. So we're, we're very centrally located downtown in seven minutes.
0: Yeah. And it's tough. You know, if you think about trying to open your own practice, I mean, it's doable. Clearly, you know, people do it, but having a mentor or partner like you who has done this so many times before would be invaluable. Um, if someone was interested in joining or investing, what's the best way to get in contact with you?
1: Definitely. You know, I've always had a, you know, active social media presence. Feel free if you've connected with me on social media. I'm the same on all platforms, Tisha Rowe, MD you know, feel free to DM me, you know, my cell phone number is on most of my network sites. So if you want to text me, you can, or just DM me for my number. I'm on LinkedIn. Um, don't call the clinic. They get a hundred calls <laughs> per day for patients. So I don't want you to get lost in the chaos of patient care. Um, definitely choose a platform. Instagram is where I am most of the time and reach out to me directly. And my email is Tisha at the honeycomb clinic.com. And don't forget the the, because people do all the time. Tisha Rowe at honeycombclinic.com. They're like, your email's not working. The Honeycomb Clinic.
0: All right. I'll try to um, add that to the show notes. I have my people, my team. Oh, there's there's no team. It's just me. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get that in the, in the show notes for you. So uh, that was so awesome to to connect. And I, I'm sure in a year two years, we'll be reconnecting and you'll be telling us about your practice location in Miami and in ATL and all those. So Thank you so much for for just bringing us full circle and allowing us to follow along in your journey.
1: Absolutely. Thank you. And for those who are, you know, the doctors out there that are, you know, doing amazing things online, we are having in New Orleans this upcoming uh, weekend, the 29th, our Medical Influencers Awards. And that's another way to connect with me. I um, host conferences, educational conferences for physicians. False Doctors will be in January, but we're having a first-time event where we are really honoring and celebrating influencers in medicine like you, uh, <laughs> Dr. Bradley, oh, the gosh. nominee for podcaster. We have categories for authors, for television personalities, and then just by specialty. So if you want to vote for someone or nominate, I definitely invite you all to visit bossdoctors.com and connect with us at that event.
0: Yeah. But we got to hear more. I mean, so what is Boss Doctors? How long have you had this or like, how long has it been around? And and yeah, we got to know more about this Boss Doctors conference.
1: Awesome. So interestingly enough, Boss doctors came out of, I started out doing telemedicine conferences. Mm. It was called the Virtual Physician Summit. When I was doing telemedicine, people would DM me all day Asking questions, I was like, I cannot respond to everyone. So why don't I host a conference where I just tell you all everything I know about telemedicine? And I had multiple speakers, and it was amazing. Then as people kind of got all the information they needed, and I was opening other businesses, I would get inquiries. Well, how did you write your book? I have a children's book. How do you open this other thing? How, How? I would get so many questions. So I said, you know, I created Boss Doctors as a way for people to learn about streams of revenue outside of medicine. If you want to write, if you want to produce, I've um, produced a reality uh, series on doctors before. If you want Hmm. to open a scrub store, if you want to do all of these things, I try to educate and teach. The next conference we do will be focused on real estate. Um, I learned so much in acquiring my property. Oh, yeah. I want to share those gems focused on real estate and in doing the conferences, I meet a lot of doctors who I think go unrecognized. We talk a lot about healthcare disparities and how we need to fix them and how, you know, African-Americans do better, you know, when they're treated by African-American doctors and all of these things. But the the everyday person if they don't happen to follow a doctor and then see the other doctors that those people post, they don't even know who we are, yeah, so the medical yeah. influencers awards is about. Yes, it's about celebrating doctors, but it's also creating this list like these are the people. These are the people that are out there that are doing the work. And this is not going to be a award that is given based on a small group of 10 people in a room that says, OK, let's pick this person for this year. You vote. Yeah. Who, who inspires you? Who Who is the person you follow online that, that gives you the best health advice or who's just funny and makes healthcare relatable? Um, so really, that's what it's about. I feel like we were used during COVID. Oh, healthcare <laughs> heroes. Everyone wanted to put a doctor on a billboard. Yeah. And now that COVID is gone, where where's the applause? Where's the recognition? It's gone. And so, you know, but... Doctors are still struggling, right? We see that, you know, a young resident committed suicide not long ago, right? So I feel like we don't acknowledge enough that this career takes a lot out of you. And we need more than a gift card on doctor's day, (laughs) right? So if they're not going to do it for us, how do we do it for ourselves? And this is my small thing I'm doing to give back to colleagues to say, I see you. I hear you. I'm going to celebrate you even if no one else does. Oh. So someone's going to walk away with a word per category and I can feel good knowing that i I gave back to my
0: peers in a meaningful way. Your pot your um conference is in January, correct? the boss doctor's conference. Yes. okay
1: conference. It will be in January here in Houston, Texas. If you are a physician interested in speaking, definitely Mm. reach out to me. Uh, We are lining up speakers now, um, specifically in the areas of uh, real estate for this conference. But if you want to speak on other topics, let me know because we will have two tracks available. Yeah.
0: This is so important because one, you know, give back to your community, but also as a physician that wants to kind of step out a little bit from the clinical space—it's a great way to start. Just by, you know, you're an expert in something besides clinical medicine, and looking for opportunities like this to start speaking is a way to get recognized and to build kind of a, a following and, and create your niche. So definitely um, check that out and and mark that down for January 19th through 21st, Houston, Texas. You get your turkey leg uh, fix. Yep. <laughs> Oh gosh. It's oh man, so much time or so little time to catch up on everything you're doing. But we can't let you go Mm -hmm. without talking about your most recent endeavor, the the statement scrub store.
1: Absolutely. Thank you. And I'm actually wearing statement scrubs today. And really the um I stumbled into this opportunity. A scrub store that I've shopped at for years. I went to go and pick up some scrubs, which is ironic because I had not bought scrubs in forever. And the sign said closing down. And I was like, Hmm, I left. I um, was talking to the owner. Why are you closing? Said he's retiring. And I called my sister after I was like, this is so cool. And I had actually for years thought about starting a scrub line, just scrubs where you can make a statement where it wasn't just the boring, regular scrubs. And I called my sister and she was like, well, go back and offer to buy it from him. I'm like, You know what? You're right. And the next day I did. And a month later, I owned a scrub store. And the scrub store just had, you know, regular scrubs, Grey's Anatomy, all the different scrubs people like. But I started through that process designing my own scrubs, scrubs that represent many different things your heritage, scrubs that represent your Greek affiliation, scrubs that represent your, um, you know, your, your status as a a person, you know, so just all different types of scrubs. So that's why we call them statement scrubs, because you're making a statement. These were the MLK scrubs. I am the dream. Mm, Okay. All of those scrubs are custom. So we have regular scrubs as well as, you know, scrubs that are custom and really make a statement. And the big picture to me, when it comes to our clothing and what we wear, so much of what we do in medicine is about trust. And when I walk into the room and my scrubs have a 1908 and my patient's AKA, immediately there's a connection, right? Yeah. So, um, being able to make that statement through the scrubs um, is important to me.
0: That's awesome, and because I've seen the the post and I'm like, oh, that's cool. I'm not Greek, so you know, I, was, I thought you were wearing the Alpha Phi Alpha uh, scrubs, but they're they're MLK <laughs> scrubs. Okay, um, yeah. so these are okay. <laughs> But so it's not just uh, divide Nine. Multiple. It's
1: not. We had our pride scrubs. We, um. you know, we do, we don't do different things for every month. And coming up in the fall, we're going to be doing heritage scrubs. So whatever country, Nigeria, you know, Haiti, Jamaica, you want to represent. There we're going to launch our heritage scrubs in the fall. So, it's it's really about what do you want to express? How do you want to express yourself? And through our sales from the scrubs, we're also going to be donating to minority student scholarships. Love it. Every year here in Houston, we do a Black Doctors Gala and we give scholarships to students. So Statement Scrubs will be making a donation to that scholarship gala to contribute to minority scholarships from our profits. So when you shop, you can know that your purchases are making a meaningful difference as well. There's scrub companies who I shall not name. They're <laughs> worth billions of dollars that we all wear. And just think if they gave 1% of their profit to HBC medical schools, what an impact that will make. So we want to grow to that size and give back. To us.
0: Yeah. And, and that's such a, a huge difference that can be made, especially, you know, not to beat a dead horse, but the Supreme Court and affirmative action, like our communities need help. And we're very vulnerable, as you know, when you're applying for medical school, when you're in, re- like, mm-hmm. so being able to give back is, is awesome. And I love the fact that among the million things that you do you're you're still very much focused on your community and giving back so thank you so much for for coming on and and sharing uh this new venture
1: thank you really appreciate you having me
0: yeah we'll definitely uh add a link to the statement scrubs to the show notes so every time you come on uh the links just keep popping up so so Check out the show notes because there's probably something that uh, you want to dig into, whether it's the Boss Doctors Conference, whether it's the Influencer Awards, whether it's the Statements Grub Line or the Honeycomb uh, Clinic. So look out for all these things and looking forward to collaborating with you more in the future.
1: Awesome. Thank you, Steven. Thank
0: you so much for tuning in to the Black Doctors Podcast. We're here because representation matters.